Hello and welcome to Real Life. I'm your host, Pamela Lau, and I'm so glad you're here. I count it a privilege to speak again on this podcast after several months of taking a break. Through prayer this past year, as I've already shared with you, I've discerned a deeper need surrounding the leadership crisis impacting each one of us. Last week, I hosted a podcast with Lindsay Knox, and this week, I'm releasing a new one with Matt Heisler. And we're asking the question again, what is Christian leadership? And what makes this series unique and useful are the incredible friends I sit down with as I interview them about their roles or previous roles as leaders. We talk about all things leadership as a Christ follower, how leading impacts their personal relationships, a time when failure calls them to question walking away, and how to support leaders ahead of them and emerging leaders in their midst, even young children. Be sure to add the podcast to your phone or device so you don't miss an episode. Click click on the link below. And please welcome with me Matt Heisler, who is the Director of Youth and Their Families at Lake Grove Presbyterian Church. Hello, Matt, and thank you for being on the show today. And because I'm just getting to know you a little bit, I think it would be appropriate for you to introduce yourself, your whole name, your job title, and then we'll uh, talk about a little bit about how we even met one another, which was kind of interesting. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So good to be with you. So how do you say your last name? Oh, yeah. So, uh, so my full name is Matthew Heisler, um, and it's Heisler. And a lot of people go with the Z sound for some reason, Heisler, but uh, it's originally an Aust- it's an Austrian name. And the simplest way I've, I've found to explain it is it rhymes with Chrysler. So Heisler, Chrysler. <laughs> I know it's kind of it's kind of silly, but that totally people just immediately click with that. So, yeah, Matthew Heisler. And um, I am the director of ministry with youth and their families at Lake Grove Presbyterian Church. Um, I let's see a little bit about my educational background. I um, graduated with a psychology degree, a bachelor's in psychology from George Fox University in 2011. Um, spent some time working in nonprofits. Um, I worked at a group home for at-risk teens. Um, then I worked in special education. Um, with a K through five um, life skills classroom. Um, so these were students who were on the autism spectrum, had Down syndrome or other, um, at the time they called them intellectual disorders. Um, there might be different language at this point to describe it. But um, so that, that was part of what I did. Um, and then I also started in youth ministry during college. And so that's a lot of what I'm doing currently. Um, I just finished my MDiv at Princeton Seminary last year. Um, so I graduated in the spring of 2021, um, and then we moved back from Princeton, New Jersey, back to Oregon, um, where my wife works, my wife, Grace, we've been married for, um, gosh, we've been married for nine years. So nine and a half years, coming up on the 10-year mark, which is wild. Wow. Um, we have a two-year-old daughter named Amelia. We have another one on the way, and we also have um, Debbie, our Labradoodle, who's actually... <laughs> sitting with me right now. <laughs> so, oh, hi, Debbie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Matt, go back just a, a minute. You said that you worked with with youth or some who had yeah. disabilities. Where was that at? 
Was that um, in so, Oregon or in New Jersey? Uh, that was in Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Everything I referenced was basically in Oregon. I did work with uh, NAMI, National Alliance uh, for yeah. Mental Illness in New Jersey, but I worked at a elementary school in McMinnville, and that's where I worked with K through five students um, who were in a life skills classroom. And then the other position I worked at was uh, CYFS, which is no longer around, but Shehalem Youth and Family mm -hmm. Services in Newburgh. Mm -hmm. Um, and they mm -hmm. had group homes for at-risk teens. And so I did that work as well. Um, and actually, I was, yeah. I got to ask you, what led to you right out of college doing this kind of work? Yeah. Well, actually, so it was my internship for my senior year at George Fox. And um, I found it to be really meaningful work. And so I just continued on when I graduated. And actually, there was a time when I was doing youth ministry at a local church in Newburgh and doing uh, that job. And so really was working with, you know, kids that maybe we'd call normal or something. And then kids who are really facing some uh, pretty big challenges and obstacles in their own life. Um, yeah. But wow. that, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, it was a cool, it was a cool position in being able to work in very, with young, like teenagers, mostly teenage boys um, in really different life settings. And I learned a lot. Um, I both. bet you did, yeah. but mostly boys. Was that just because of the space or was that just the, the, um, what happened? Um, the, uh, how CYFS worked is they had girls and boys houses that were separate. Okay. You'd kind of get, you'd kind of get placed into, uh, one house in particular and work. I see. House. Okay. So I actually worked in, I think the house was called Harrison house. And that was for students who were who had kind of graduated out of the other house, uh, which was meant more for those who were, who had more challenging behaviors and a lot more maladaptive kind of ways of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And so once you were able to kind of, in some ways, stabilize um, and start thinking about uh, goals, maybe beyond um, some of the basic ones, if you think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. those students, yeah. I think, are not students, but those clients were really, um, looking for ways to meet their basic needs. So once you, once they were able to, to kind of learn through the, the, um, the environment and through those who were caring for them that, okay, you really are safe and your needs really are going to get taken care of. Then they could start to think about what am I going to do when I graduate out of the program? And what do I okay. think about my future? You know, what am I going to do for work? Those sorts of things. So the Harrison house was more meant for getting them okay. for exiting the program. Yeah. Okay. Well, that experience for you sounds so rich and and forming, formative. It sounds yeah. like it was really forming to where you are today and in your role at Lake Grove, which which takes me back for just a moment. Matt and I, am I remember correctly, I actually never met you until I wrote you a little letter. Oh, <laughs> Is yes. that right? Yeah, that's totally right. Yeah. So um, I was just led to pray for our pastoral staff. And you couldn't make it that day. And yeah. so I just gave you the letter and then we finally met. Um, but like a few months ago, is that what yeah, it was, or last that's, month? That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess it was just last month that we actually met oh, in person. Yeah. yeah. So funny. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was so appreciative of that. And I think we might get into this a little bit later. But one of the uh, challenges and gifts of doing ministry with a family is that you can't always be there for everything. And so I think mm. knowing kind of, uh, your own limits and, and mm -hmm. what you're able to give yourself to is a part of that. So would have loved right. to be there. And then, but then there's also just other. You, calls that's right. Life. That's yeah. right. 
Well, let's get let's jump in and talk about your leadership journey a little bit as we answer some questions of what what it is to be a Christian leader, especially in today's culture and climate. So, Matt, can you describe a moment, like maybe a season of time, when you said yes to being in leadership for the long haul? Mm. Um, I don't know. What what comes to your mind when I ask that question? Yeah. Um, Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is actually uh, watching my parents lead when I was a kid. So um, I kind of was a helper when I was young. So I think I was 12 maybe. And my parents started running the middle school ministry for a church we were involved in. And um, just having your parents be in a place of leadership, you kind of view the space differently. Like the space, like it was for me, but it was also like for me to lead and help with. So that was one, I think one area where I just kind of was adopted into it in some ways. I don't remember there being like, would you like to help with this? No, it was just kind of like, (laughs) I was there and this is what my parents are doing. So I was kind of adopted into that. Um, But I think as uh, more of a choice for me when I was older, I was welcomed into youth ministry. I was recruited by a local youth pastor. Um, My friend had been serving at their church and my friend really recommended me as a, as a youth leader. And um, he kind of just sought me out, took me out to lunch, learned about my life um, and asked me if I wanted to step into leadership. So that was a really. How old were you then? I was 19, pretty early wow. in college. Okay. In college. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so that was, I think. And during that, those years of serving in that youth ministry and eventually becoming the director of the high school ministry there, um, there was a particular Sunday where uh, youth leaders were welcomed into sharing uh, a bit of their testimony. And I remember I, I shared that morning and I got off um, the chancel or, uh, and just was talking with the pastor. And he, he said, um, you know, have you, have you really thought about pastoral ministry being a calling for you? And so uh, I, so I think, you know, for me, it was always kind of a combination between other people seeing things in me and kind of speaking to that um, Mm -hmm. and welcoming me into leadership. And I didn't say this, but I didn't feel qualified to do it. You know, even, you know, I was looking at 19 year olds now from my, from my uh, lens, you know, I think, oh, of course you have things to offer to our young people. Um, But at the time I didn't see that in myself. So having somebody come alongside me and say, do you, you know, we really think that you can do this and do this well was a huge gift. Um, but then, yeah, of course, there's the other half of it where I have to say yes. So there's, yeah. there's both. And so you, you've kind of given me a timeline, 10 years. Is it, is that been like a 10 year journey for you? And so, right. Is that what you're saying? In yeah. leadership? Maybe yeah, more? Think about that a little bit more. I'm 33 now. So, okay. Um, so actually it is more like 15 years. Yeah. 14, 14, to where 15 I am years. now. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Uh, yeah, and there's lots of little uh, stepping stones along the way. Ended up going to seminary, and it was a. I mean, in some ways, there's a long discernment process to you know what leadership looks like uh, for me. I think I keep learning about what that looks like and how it could uh, continue to uh, develop. I've started the ordination process now in the Presbyterian Church, so those are things that you know there's steps along the way. Each one is kind of a saying yes to yeah. more of this. Um, well, yeah. and what's nice is it sounds like from what you're saying, and again, we'll get, we don't want to get into the weeds yet, but it sounds like what's seminary is a way to prepare you for leadership. 
ordination is a way to do more preparation. Right. And which gives you support. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so, so can you think of a time? Um, no, let me go back to a second. I want to ask you this first. How has being in vocational ministry as a married man with children almost, almost two, right, how has yeah. that worked well for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, there was a there was a pastor friend I was talking to recently who said, I mean, he's in youth ministry as well. He said a lot of things have to be going right for people to stay mm -hmm. in ministry. And I and I had never heard someone put it that way before, but I was thinking that is kind of true. You know, you do need support to be uh, in a place where you can do ministry, do youth ministry. With youth ministry in particular, there's a lot of nights out, um, things that can pull you away from your family. Um, there's can be a lot of hours. There can be a lot of uh, time, just a lot of heart <laughs> and a lot of energy coming out of you. So um, for me, I think it's been a combination of having supports in my life. Uh, you know, one of the best things I did in seminary was get to be a part of a group spiritual direction or a spiritual direction group with other seminarians mm -hmm. and a retired um, Presbyterian pastor. And Wait, so, so was that was that a group spiritual direction or one-on-one? Yeah, on one? It was a group one, which I had done. Wow, one, okay. I had done one-on-one -on -one spiritual direction before and I got some good things out of it and it was enriching for me. Um, but I really appreciated the group even more because I had peers who were basically in the same sort of boat as I was and somebody who was kind of speaking to that and looked to having another set of eyes on on what our how our lives were unfolding and where God might be active. How did you find a group like that? Um, this, was it yeah, this was offered through my seminary. OK, um, so there were I think I just visited the spiritual life office and they had a bunch of different things you could you could jump in on. And one of them was uh, these spiritual direction groups. So I actually had not heard of groups before. So it was like a unique thing. And mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was a good opportunity for me to meet some other students and, and dive deep with them. But then also have, you know, that spiritual yeah. direction piece to it. So that's that's phenomenal. So that's what what you're saying is that has helped that helped. You said that gave you support then. For sure. So what yeah. about now in this season of your life? Yeah, great question. Um, there are uh, one of the one of the blessings of moving back to Oregon, because um, Grace and I are both from Oregon, basically from childhood. So we, we have a lot of relationships here. And so being able to come step back into a support system um has been really great um one of the one of the there's a few relationships that really kind of keep me grounded and sustained uh one of them is a is a mentor that came about during george my time at george fox actually mm -hmm. so that relationship started as a, a group bible study um when i was a student actually and you know one by one we all graduated and and moved on but uh, me and this professor uh this professor and i kept um meeting we just like kept meeting. And so it was kind of, mm -hmm. kind of funny and happenstance in some ways, but over the years, so now it's been, it's been like a dozen years. So we've been doing this and we meet, we meet at least once a month at a Panera. And sometimes we have a book we're going through together. Other times we just kind of connect about life and ministry and how teaching is going and things like that. And so having relationships um, outside of where you're serving, I think is really mm -hmm. helpful. 
Um, but it, it sounds me, like to me that you initiate this as well. Like you don't just re rely on someone else to initiate it. Is that yeah, true? Yeah. Well, I had, a, yeah, I had to say yes to being a part of the Bible study. And then I had to say yes to um, continue to be in relationship uh, with this professor um, and keep, and I have to keep like, it, it does cost something for me too. In the okay. Sense, talk um, about that. What does it cost you? Um, it costs me just carving out part of my life. I mean, as a, as a young dad, um, uh, there's a lot of commitments I have, um, and just carving out space in your life to do the things that, you know, will enrich you. And also that you just like, I just enjoy being with this person at this point. So sure. It's, it's not a cost in the sense of like, I don't want to do it, but I think just yeah. realistically, mm -hmm. there's always, there's always something that is demanding your time. In one way. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. being able to say, okay, I know there are things to do and I know there are needs and I know um, I could take all of them on, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, I know myself well enough to know that I, I need to carve out space where I can be fed. I can be not uh, in an active role of leading other people in mm -hmm. some ways, but just to receive <laughs> things. So um, that I think that is really an important thing um, for all leaders to really keep in mind. Um, it sounds like self-support, right? Nobody, nobody's going to say to you, Matt, you need to make sure you do these. I mean, they may say it yeah. or they may. Well, my wife, my wife might it. chime in and say, okay, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I think, but yeah, I think no one's going to force me, you know, no one's going to force me to do those steps that'll, that'll, um, yeah, just continue to feed uh, feed myself, feed my own soul, so that I'm able to actually uh, be aware, aware and present yeah. for others. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go um, in a little different direction. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. You've lit, you know, with your experience of living both on the West and East Coast, you're not that far away from college graduation. I mean, it's it's a decade, but not as not as far as you realize. Right. So can you recall a couple stories? when you've come against the culture's image or expectations of what a leader is, especially someone who's following Jesus, mm. um, you know, what, what is, what is the expectation or image that you've come against? Are there differences if you are following Jesus or if you're not? Um, yeah. Can you speak personally to this? Yeah. Um, one of the things I thinking about this question um, I think Christian leaders are always also following. And I think that's mm -hmm. really an important distinction. I think there can be a conception of leadership that, um, and maybe even the further you climb up, the higher you get, the less you follow other people. But I think built into being a Christian is you're always, always, always following. So mm -hmm. there's just, and I think, I think what that brings is a level of humility in our leadership um that who are you following uh well jesus i mean jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay but, yeah. but so like like flesh that out what does that look mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. because i guess what i'm what i'm hearing a little bit is you know the, the our our out broader culture doesn't necessarily portray an image of someone following jesus christ yeah well i think sometimes the image we get of leaders is that they are self-sufficient and that they're able to um, just by their own strength or giftings that, oh, there's just something really special about this person and this personality that they're able to be a leader. Um, 
but when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're a Christian, everyone's called to a level of leadership. I believe that uh, just by, by we're called to follow and then we're called to lead. Um, I think about Paul's words about follow me as I follow Christ. There's always you're you're always following and you're and you should always be leading in some sense. And I think um, there is a there's the, the old saying of it being lonely at the top or things like that. Um, and I think there is a loneliness that comes in leadership and that in some ways maybe is unavoidable. But I think as Christian leaders, um, we're always kind of adopted into a community um, of faith. So we're, we're following Christ. And then we're also being, because we already should have some level of humility and submission in our life, in the sense that we like, we give our, we put ourselves under, um, either, whether that's our, our church tradition, there's a lot of traditions we might hold, and that we put ourselves under that, we put ourselves under the Holy Spirit's leading, um, all of these things make us uh, accountable to, um, something outside of ourselves, someone outside of ourselves. Um, so how does that get fleshed out? Well, I think, I think maybe a little bit of how it gets fleshed out is when we see it go really wrong. When we see, when have we you see, seen that? Um, I have seen, yeah, I have seen some things in my own personal experience, but then even on in, uh, actually I, I write on my personal site about spiritual abuse. I've been writing this 10 part series and, um, it's unfortunately a more common story um, than we'd like to think, um, even in Christian churches where uh, pastors don't have levels of accountability or don't have people that keep them in check and people get really hurt. Um, and whole systems can be built around personalities that are charismatic and maybe uh, appear to be that self-sufficient leader that uh, and what, what happens is that we're all humans. We all have our vulnerabilities. And when we see a leader who seems to not have any vulnerabilities, it can be really attractive. And we can kind of put our confidence in this other person who seems to have everything together and who seems to not have any, uh, you know, uh, weak spots. And But the truth is every leader is human and every leader um, has um, has areas where they need to be to be led along as well. So I think, I, yeah, so I just think built into Christian leadership should be uh, leaders who are actively looking for mm -hmm. accountability, actively looking for ways that they can have their blind spots checked. And I'm, re I'm reading a book right now called The Failure of Nerve mm. by Edwin Friedman. Have you read that book? I haven't it? read it, but I have, uh, I have it on my bookshelf. It's on yes, my Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he does a really good job of saying, of course you're, you're, you're experiencing loneliness as a leader. Mm. Of course you are, because that's the nature of the call. So expect it. And then he says, and of course you're being sabotaged mm. by the chaos and the anxiety. And his whole book, he just goes into this great, you know, way of he lays out how to do self-differentiation. It's just really good. And it is applying to what you're talking about right there. And I I think what I heard you say too is you've seen this you've seen where where leaders who aren't following jesus but they call themselves christian in a way i see our culture many people standing up to that now and saying yeah. we don't want this anymore yeah. you know we we want the real authentic leader which is yeah. interesting that you even say isn't it our human nature wants someone who's so confident and doesn't show vulnerability yeah 
And yet we yeah. also were saying, please be more vulnerable with us. What do we want? Right. I mean, yeah. as a, you're like being pulled all these directions as a leader. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. I think, well, I think what people expect of leaders evolves too. So hmm. I think as, um, as people, when we see leaders fall, for instance, it's almost like we put a little bookmark in that and we go, okay, well, if I see that again, I know what to steer clear of, you know? And so I think part of what people are yearning for is an authenticity. Um, so yeah, how do you, I think a question for me that I continually wrestle with um, is how do you be authentic, but there's still something different about a leader follower relationship than if I'm authentic with my buddy or something like that. Yes. There's yes. like, there's friendships and then yes. there's, it's a different sort of relationship when people are counting on you to, right. to lead them somewhere. Um, that's right. That's different than just, you know, being able to disclose to your, to your close friend or something. Absolutely. And that takes yeah. great wisdom. And that's what I, I hear, I hear us kind of talking about is that there's, it's not a free for all, you know, you don't get the luxury of standing up in front of your youth group and, <laughs> you know, telling right. them everything because that would not be wise. And that isn't, yeah. that doesn't sound like following Jesus. And, and yet again, I hear that in the back of my mind a lot from you know, what I've seen on social media or from what I hear at conferences, you know, be vulnerable, be vulnerable. Um, yeah. So, so we need wisdom. Um, so the word support is something that you and I've already been in discussion about um, in my discovery workshop, but it, I think it's a sticking point for leading. And I, for those who are listening to us right now, I'm curious how you would say from what direction should support come to a leader? You know, if it, who's offering the support? Because I, like you just said, you can't expect the people you're leading to be your primary supporters. I mean, that, that would be inappropriate, but right. you still need, you know, something from them. Is it your peers? Um, I'm curious what your experience is and where you think support should come from. Yeah. That's or where has it come from for you? You've already talked a little bit about it, but let's talk about your current role yeah. and maybe even in the organization that you're in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great question. Um, well, I was, I was thinking a, a little bit about um, the book you just mentioned and um, the, can you remind me of the title? Yeah. The, um, failure, the failure of nerve. of nerve, a failure yeah. of nerve. Well, and what I've what I've read about the author is that he works a lot in family systems theory mm -hmm. and kind of just mm -hmm. applies that to religious organizations because he's Jewish, I believe. Yeah, he's a rabbi, but he's a therapist as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah, when we talk about support, I think there's a lot to be learned about parent-child relationships and how when sometimes you can, if a leader is kind of inverting the relationship. Um, where the person you're leading is now the person who's supporting you and you're, and the leader is kind of um, depending on their followers to kind of bolster them all the time. This mm. is like an invert. It's a, it's a similar dynamic to when the parent-child get, relationship gets inverted, where a child now is expected to take care of a parent. And um, so I don't think, I think that's exactly right that we shouldn't be seeking support from those we lead. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet, 
And yet I remember a podcast I was listening uh, to from uh, Kenda Dean, who's a leader in, in youth ministry uh, research. She teaches at Princeton Seminary. And she talks about the necessity of still being some level of friends with those that you lead. Mm. That there is a level of friendship. And especially with youth ministry where those, I mean, uh, teenagers demand a certain level of authenticity. They can smell uh, when you're being false or if there's falsehood around, yes. they can smell it a mile away. So if you're, not, if you're not really yourself with them, mm -hmm. um, then you will lose them. And so- yes. um, so it's like, what self is it? And you just referenced Kenda Dean. I read that yeah. book that she, it's on mentoring, mm -hmm. isn't it? Or yeah, well, she's got, she's got research. Several. It's research. Yeah. yeah. When she wrote one, one that she wrote was uh, almost Christian was a, her big one. Yes. Um, okay. But it was kind of, uh, she's, she does speak a lot to, um, well, okay. Here's, here's part of what I'll say. I think part of the, the support piece, a lot of my work should be focused on inviting students into leadership in some ways and being a listening leader. So I suppose in some ways that's me supporting them. Like what is, yes. what is, um, what does following God look like for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now in, the, in the life that you inhabit now? Um, but when it comes to my support, I've, I've sought it. I, I have to seek it in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. in other ways, they're like the system of our of our church, Lake Grove, um, has built in supports for me. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. things like staffing, things like uh, mm -hmm. people above me who I can go to when I get puzzled or stuck. Um, and those things are huge. Um, what I found is that doors are pretty much always open. And that's a big deal for me um, that if I have a, if I have something I need help with, I need support. Um, I know who I can go to. And so I think sometimes uh, leaders can get stuck in problems and not know, not be sure where they can go. Uh, and where, and whom they can trust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I feel that I have pretty trusting relationships with my peers and my supervisors in ministry. And that's mm -hmm. been huge. And I also have trusting relationships outside of my immediate ministry setting. And so being able to go somewhere where, like speaking to a friend or the mentor I referenced earlier and just being able to say, oh, this has been a really hard season, uh, which it was coming out of the pandemic was a tough season of youth ministry. Okay. So Matt, let me, let me be, play the devil's advocate for just a moment. Yeah. I'm, I read the research that says, you know, since the pandemic, you know, loneliness has even increased. Of course, we knew that that was starting in 2012 and, yeah. you know, when they make correlations with the iPhone coming out. So you, your, who you are, um, your age group, um, yeah. we're hearing that men like you don't have these things, but yet you're telling me the opposite. You're, you're almost, you're coming from a different bandwidth here. Mm -hmm. So I guess I have to ask you, you're, you're, you're breathing the air of individualism and yet you're, it seems like you've got a different mask you're wearing mm -hmm. yeah um so what would you what would you point to yeah that, well, that you said no to that well again i think it's you know it's a it's a both and again i think back to um some of my richest friendships still today 
came out of uh, came out of my college years, and I think it kind of like laid it kind of laid a pattern for me of what friendship should look like. And some of that I just learned from some really good friends who are willing to be vulnerable with me just on a friendship level and um, welcomed me into a deeper level of friendship than maybe is the norm for for my demographic. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I'm reading that research too, especially for our teenagers. Um, And one of the biggest thing um, maybe not the biggest thing, but one of the biggest things that we can offer teenagers is a sense of belonging. And I think that that's true all the way through. And I think leaders themselves need a sense of belonging if they're going to lead uh, like um, appropriately and actively, if they're going to be good, if they're going to be good leaders, they need a sense of belonging. And Springtide Research, who did, who's doing a lot of research on loneliness in young people right now, um, they kind of boiled it down to a few like steps you can take as a leader um, to really uh, build a sense of belonging. And um, they they say we need to notice, um, name, and know our people. So, mm. um, so the first step is really just being able to see people around you and noticing who they are. Um, and then, I mean, real practically learning their names. I mean, how, how uh, different does it feel when we see someone that we've met and they actually remember our name? It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big it deal. absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then growing into uh, a deeper sense of being known by, by mm-hmm. people. And I think leaders need this. Uh, adults need this, just like teenagers need this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're social creatures. We look for belonging. And if, if we don't have it, we know, we know, you know, um, it, it hits us on a soul level. And I think this, this profound sense of loneliness is, it's really just describing a lack of belonging. You know, we don't have, and I think I've been thinking too about just institutional decline in general, how the, the church at large is in decline. A lot of our other institutions are under a lot of questions and um, all the time are, are being kind of interrogated. And I think part of and some of those things are completely necessary, especially when we see abuses in those systems. We need to be saying, oh, that's not right, and that needs to change. But hopefully we're building to a place where we have uh, better, richer places of belonging. Um, not Maybe just... this is our opportunity to rebuild better, richer places of belonging, yeah. Yeah. since so much has been pulled apart. Yeah. Um, so Matt, do you want to share a time or have you thought a time when I use the word failure carefully, mm. or maybe just maybe when you faced a dark time because of being in leadership and you were tempted to walk away? Yeah. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what happened? What was the struggle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's it look like to follow Jesus when that pressure's really on? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, happy to. Yeah. Um, actually about, um, about five years ago, we had start. We had uh, Grace and I were serving at a, a pretty young church plant, um, and for those who have been a part of a church plant, it it is a lot of work. It's uh, you. We were meeting in a school. It was set up and tear down every week. Um, there's just there are a lot of things to do all the time, and not a ton of people to do them. So we were in that season for almost three years, and I was serving as a director of compassion ministries there at that church. And so I was working with um, local nonprofits um, and connecting basically our resources as a church and our people 
with uh, local nonprofits and how we might serve people who are houseless. That was a lot of what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that season, I um, I just felt myself getting more and more burnt out. And mm-hmm. at the time I was in seminary part-time and I was serving at this church and then working a job. Um, and so just felt um, over the course of that few years, my energy was just just kind of bleeding out. And so um, came to a point uh, where unfortunately there were some pretty negative events at this church where we saw people pretty badly mistreated. And it, for us, um, felt like a moment to pause um, and really consider, you know, what what we're going to do going forward. For me, it, I, as a person in seminary, I even got to the point where I was like, do I even want to be a part of the church if this is the sort of stuff that the church does? That's um, an important question. Yeah. And so, and and in the meantime, I'm being trained to lead in the church and I'm wondering, well, is this even a place I want to give myself to? Um, so at that point, we, um, we uh, took a pause and I ended up applying to Princeton Seminary and we made that whole move over to the East Coast. And, but how, part of how I looked at that time was I really kind of just had my hands open and was asking God to really um, either renew a sense of, of this uh, area of leadership in my life. Am I going to do this or is it, are you calling me to something else? And I think, um, I think really leaning into the pain of that season and, and, and still taking steps forward into what God might have next is really what helped um, lead me along the path. Um, because I think I was, I was one of those uh, people, those leaders who I was active in the church. I was building things. We were, you know, growing our, you know, we had, we had started a group that had tripled in size and these compassion ministries were going well but as a leader I was really at a dark place so um but I think I think what can happen so often in those times um for young leaders especially because they don't have um a track record or a a sense of maybe God's faithfulness in in the place of leadership it can be easy for that light to be extinguished that Mm. okay i've got a real i've seen my first you know ugliness in this uh in this place and i'm and maybe this has just spoiled it all for me and i think a lot of yeah that's really good your call so what you're saying is you're what your basic advice you're giving is keep on keeping on yeah be faithful right and that might mean and that might mean that you change your posture in the place that you're leading currently, maybe that means you need to shuffle some things around in your life. Maybe you need to say no to a few more things and say yes to a few other things so that you can be at a healthy place to lead. Sometimes that means you might need to move out of the place you are. Maybe that And that takes itself. great discernment. Yeah, That's it right. does. And I, I think I'll say for us, um, that decision to leave that church plant and go in a different direction that came through a lot of hours of prayer, <laughs> a lot of uh, maybe less uh, just worrying. <laughs> so like just, you know, a sense we were wrestling, but then we also, you know, invited uh, the mentors we had in our life to speak into mm-hmm. those things too, to say, this is how we're feeling. This is, these are the things we're experiencing. 
what makes sense to you here? And all of the people in our lives that we really trusted were saying it's time to get out and to move along. So I think, I think, um, these decisions to either leave leadership or to make big moves, I think need to be taken uh, with our wells of wisdom that we have from the Holy Spirit, but also all those people that God has brought into our life to help speak into who we are and where we're going. Uh, and so, yes, it's a decision only we can make again, uh, where we're going to go, what the next step is, but having people who are on who are on the sidelines and who are on our squad who can mm-hmm. kind of really speak into that is so important. Um, and again, it shows that you it shows that you've been practicing the discipline of vulnerability with the right people along the way. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't just all of a sudden say, I, I mean, drop this bomb on you, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's an it's like a daily, everyday occurrence or weekly or monthly, whatever. It's yeah. it's not it's not something you just started last week. Yeah. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. These weren't this wasn't like, yeah, exactly. It would be funny to just insert that dynamic into a relationship where it wasn't mm. appropriate at all. It just right. Those exactly. People, we had those people because we had invested in those relationships for years and we okay yeah so this makes this brings me to our you know really we just have a few minutes here but i I really want you to talk about your best advice in in the light of what we're talking about for for emerging leaders or even leaders who are burning out right now they're in the middle they're at the top they're like "I, i i something's not right i'm feeling the dissonance you've talked about what's working for you so what's yeah. the advice that you, you know, two or three things you would want to say? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing, and I know it's been said a million times, but self-care really is important. Um, and that means like uh, for, for people in my shoes who do uh, pastoral ministry, um, find somewhere you can just be, find somewhere you can just worship, find somewhere where you can be, um, in a small group and you're not expected to lead all the time. Um, These are acts of self-care that may seem small uh, in the moment, but um, when you are, when you're finding yourself at that burnout spot, you need, you need relationships around you that can, uh, that you can just be in and not be expected to constantly be serving. Be the leader. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. So that's that's huge. Um, Tied up in that, I think is taking care of your body. Um, a lot of, a lot of times when we're feeling burnout, uh, part of what's happening is that we're not getting enough sleep. We're not eating the meals we should, we're not exercising. And it's easy for those things to just kind of get, be pushed to the side. Cause in church ministry, there's always someone who's in pain or who's in crisis. Um, and there's always more, there's always more you could do. So, but really taking those steps to take care of yourself, um, I think is a, is a divine activity. And we mm-hmm. see that in the life Absolutely. of Jesus too. So, um, okay. So that's one, I think, um, number two would be, um, find someone you can follow. Um, like really, like really find the people that you respect and you want to be maybe in five, 10 years, um, people that you, uh, admire. And um, what sometimes that can only be sometimes that can be found through books and and you know kind of seeing people from a distance publicly. But I, I'd encourage uh, you also to to really try to form relationships with people that you want to follow, um, and that will just continue to grow you. Um, and it gives you a sense of um, 
when you come up against stuff, they've seen it. Hopefully they've seen it and they are able to say, you know, I remember being there too. And having somebody that you can be vulnerable with and who's willing to be at least somewhat vulnerable with you about when they have hit obstacles in leadership uh, is really, is a really big deal. Uh, but that means opening yourself up and being active and actually searching for those for those people in your life. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that's really good, Matt. Anything else? I mean, those are three really good pieces of advice. Yeah. I think I think we'll leave it at that. I think okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, it is joy to talk to you and hear about your journey and just to glean from your wisdom and your understanding. And I'm what I'm taking with me too is where you started out in the call to leadership mm -hmm. um, as following your parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and just, just the, the walk that you took it, it's so inspiring to me. You've worked with the, the best minds and the minds that are struggling. And so I think that it, you're, you've, you've kind of like have the, the heart of Jesus in different places. So I really like that, but thank you for being on our, the podcast and we'll, I hope you can join me again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much, Pam.